Hello and welcome back to the Bitcoin Cash podcast. This is episode three as we are following Bitcoin Cash on its rise to global adoption and being the global reserve currency eventually, I think anyway. Uh, today I have with me Luke. How you doing, man? Pretty good. Surviving? It's pretty cold, pretty rainy today. <laughs> Typical London weather, right? Like that's yeah, basically. <laughs> well, life could be nice and depressing in uh, in London, but uh, at least we can find <laughs> some joy in cryptocurrency while we stay uh, socially isolated, right? At least January is nearly over. Yeah, exactly. You gotta you gotta look on the bright <laughs> side. Like I, I think this month has actually gone pretty quickly for me, to be honest. I think twenty twenty one gave me some fresh optimism, and if it gets to like April or May, and I'm still locked inside and just you know, can't go anywhere, I'll, I'll be well sick of it, right? But uh, for like the next month or two, I think I can I can stick it out as long as the, you know, the cases are falling, the vaccine's rolling out, right? So we'll get there eventually. Yeah, I feel like we're kind of just holding on. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, well, it's like the I, last I've push stopped now. checking the, yeah, I've stopped checking the stats. Like I've become completely normalized to it that I just live in a box all day. But yeah, I think, I think it'll be, it'll be over. Like, and once it's over, it'll be over like before we know it kind of thing. I think it'll all come together like suddenly because it'll take people longer to get back into the vibe of like, oh, wait, we can go out then, you know, even once it's already safe, right? I think people will still be kind of hesitant. But yeah, anyway. So this uh, episode, uh, we've got the topics here. So we're going to have a quick uh, little look at the headlines and then um, crack on with some uh, Q&A and get into your story with crypto and all that. So, oh, here we go. So yeah, quick stats update. So I checked the price about half an hour ago, $407 Bitcoin Cash. Today is 30th of January, 2021. And uh, yeah, the headlines is basically, so we had the GameStop on the last episode. So Friday evening that closed at $325. Uh, dollars. So, uh, you know, there was a lot of hype on Wall Street bets that uh, on Monday, the shorts are gonna start closing and it's gonna go to the moon and they're gonna bankrupt the hedge fund. So, <laughs> you know, there's, uh, there's potential for that there. I do have some questions about that. I think we'll do that after yeah. the Bitcoin. Stuff. All right, cool. And just the one other thing I wanted to yeah, sort of mention, I mean, uh, I recorded the last episode a couple of days ago, but yeah, so Elon Musk put uh, Bitcoin in his uh, Twitter profile, which caused a bit of a stir and immediately kicked the price up like about five grand from 32 to 37 or, or something like that, which I, I thought was, you know, pretty interesting. I mean, he's he's a guy that I would expect to be into it. I don't know how much he's been into it in the past or or how much he's really looked into it or whatever but i can see him throwing a couple a couple billion in there you know if so he hasn't he started off with paypal didn't yeah he? yeah he, literally uh, he seems yeah. he seems the kind of person who'd be against it he's the kind of financial institution that it sounds like bitcoin would be kind of ruining yeah i mean maybe like i, I mean i sort of think of it as more as like I mean, he's the kind of guy, you know, he's big on technology and innovation and all that sort of stuff. So I sort of see it from that angle. But it is true that he was like one of the founders of PayPal. But I think when he founded uh, PayPal and everything, his, he, you know, he, he kind of had the same vision that Bitcoin had, right? He just didn't know how to do it. I mean, there's um, like Bitcoin is not the first That's attempt true. that people have made to make a, you know, an online payment system, right? There was some in the 90s. There was one called... Uh, 
can't remember what it was, but there was a guy who made one called like Liberty Gold or, or, or something like that. It was some kind of company that was basically the predecessor to PayPal, but he got shut, shut down at a certain point by the feds because once they were like, wait a second, you're running your own currency. Like we can't have that happening. And so then they had PayPal, which ended up being more like sort of a bank intermediary, you know, kind of plugging into the existing system. And then in 2008, Bitcoin was invented exactly, you know, Satoshi, right? The inventor of Bitcoin was obviously very keenly aware that if the feds realized, you know, what was going on or like what, what this currency was, that they would come and try and shut it down, right? So that's, yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. That's kind of why he stayed anonymous yeah yeah like obviously and uh, it's you know it's hard to say right in hindsight like whether the whole being anonymous thing i think you know i'm sure it came from an abundance of caution right like if you were the kind of person who knew this much about cryptography and about the history of money and about the feds you know shutting down other people who tried to start their own currencies and everything like that you you would definitely like play it safe but it was quite visionary one of the hundreds of things that satoshi did that as insanely like prescient was to just from the start be so strict about all that and it it never got followed up right like you can imagine it sort of being like somebody starting this kind of thing and then like it starts blowing up and they think oh shit like maybe it's better if i'm out of the spotlight but by then it's too late right so it was actually insanely um insanely prescient to be to be out of the spotlight but yeah so as far as like elon musk goes i think he was sort of in that lineage of like trying to create an online payment system and you know i'm not i'm, I'm not surprised if he uh comes around to it and i imagine definitely would have bought up a bit himself and then just starts starts hyping it up you know uh but it was interesting that he's, he's put here bitcoin you know and that he hasn't either he doesn't know or he hasn't looked into it enough or whatever to figure out you know bitcoin cash rather than than bitcoin or you know well he's got he's got 43.7 million followers and i don't know until until we were speaking two days ago i didn't really see a difference like all all cryptocurrency is just bitcoin to anyone who doesn't know anything about it so i don't think this is him hyping up bitcoin specifically this is him hyping up crypto in general yeah i agree with that using uh, yeah i'm saying he thinks people agree uh, understand yeah yeah and i mean i and it is very like on trend of course right with all the whole the gme kind of thing and it it's funny how every all these like politicians and different people coming out of the woodwork and be like yeah fuck the banks you know and it's pretty much like everybody's on that train of <laughs> fuck the banks whether or not they they are actually you know being benefited by the current system it's still just like such easy uh points on the internet to be like oh no the banks are out to get us the hedge funds you know like the even banks are the really and i and I love cats. Yeah, even the people who are like in 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 Wall Street are like, yeah, no, I'm one of the good guys though. Fuck the banks. It's like, uh, all right, all right. But uh, crypto crypto has been pretty OG. Fuck the banks for for more than a decade now. So I think it is, and it is getting a huge like wash over of like support, right? In terms of like Dogecoin just went ballistic, and you, I've seen like on the on the reddit and stuff like the subscriber numbers are like rocketing up at the moment just because there's such a groundswell of everyone being like wait a second you know people don't people don't question these things right until uh until until there's sort of a need so yeah that's that's basically it right the the rest of this episode um for the listeners is basically that yesterday or the day before i guess i was talking to luke a little bit about 
uh, about Bitcoin and about cryptocurrency and everything. And he had a bunch of questions because he's totally new to it. And I said, look, what, this is the whole point of me having this podcast, right? Like, why don't you just jump on with me and just ask me all these questions? I'll just answer them off the top of my head and, and we'll just see where the discussion goes. And yeah, I think that'd be good for anybody else who's similarly new to uh, crypto and maybe you know, in light of GameStop is is doing the same thing. So yeah, break it down for me, man. Like what, what specifically piqued your interest or, or how did you um, come to it? Well, I kind of hit having you be kind of quite so evangelical about it. Um, Not until recently, by the way, though, right? I have, ne- I had never like no, mentioned no. it until you, about like, you know, we've known each other for what, like more than a year, but I'd never mentioned it till about one week ago, right? Yeah, no, no, this is pretty much the first time that you've um, maybe you've been guiding me in that direction without me realizing but this that is the first time we've that. actually spoken yeah. about crypto or any, anything like that yeah. Um, but yeah uh, basically a lot of I was watching your first episode and I kind of just went through it kind of with a fine tooth comb yeah. just asking anything that I didn't really understand um, and it's kind of split into a couple of main categories Yeah. really basically well the first thing is I don't really get how how it can work. How can it even split? How could you have a fork of Bitcoin? And more more so, you kind of see Bitcoin Cash as the main fork, but I don't don't really get how that could be if it's split off from Bitcoin Core. Yeah. Okay. All right. So so the way the the one of the best things to do on this topic is that on my website for anybody who is. Uh, looking this up that I've put up here. I've got this video here, it's called 10 Years of Bitcoin, right? And this is this super good talk by this Australian guy um, where he talks about like all the, the history of Bitcoin and how like things came together. And he has a slide in here somewhere that I'm just gonna quickly find where he has a diagram that I should probably, you know, uh, replicate or something where he's, he's talking about what exactly is the point of all these different like forks and how it all came together because once you can see the like if you can see it visually it makes a lot more sense here we go let's just like see if i can um okay this is maybe not going to be the best like they didn't uh oh, they zoomed in on the slides here here we go how chain split occurs here we go like this all right so here we go let me let me just resize the window a little bit so that how do I get it in mini player? Cinema mode. Ah, oh, fuck. Oh, no, now I screwed it up. Uh, cinema mode. Okay, all right. So if we just make this up. Okay, good enough. So basically, this is how it works, right? Is that in 2009, here you go, he's got 9th of January 2009, the Bitcoin network was started and the, all the Bitcoin network does is it creates a history of transactions right separated into oh my goodness i clicked on that accidentally separated into blocks right which are a bundle of transactions and so as each separate block of transactions gets kind of aggregated and packaged up together to confirm into the blockchain it gets added like one at a time right so that's what this kind of process is and that went on and on and on until um you know, until until the time of the split, right? And the 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 key point is that it comes down to that because there is nobody in charge of the network, uh, anybody can just change the rules at any time on on their computer, right? So if I'm running a Bitcoin node, 
and I think, you know what, great, I should just, uh, you know, change the software and just say I'm going to pay half of all the Bitcoin in existence to myself and I can just change the rules to that and just off I go, right? But that's not going to work because everybody else on the network, their incentive is to not allow that, right? If you change the rules, it doesn't really matter what you change them to yourself so much as you change them to something that everybody else agrees with. And so okay. the, obviously it's not in anyone's incentive to let anybody else be cheating because if they are cheating, that's to their, you know, that's to the yeah. detriment of the majority of participants, any one person sort of trying to get a leg up on the network. So that same principle applies to all the rules in Bitcoin because it's just software. It could, you could change the rules to anything you wanted, right? But the important thing is that enough, a majority of the network agrees with you because if they don't agree with yep. you, then you submit a transaction, let's say paying all the Bitcoin in existence to yourself, then the rest of the nodes are just going to reject it. And so you can carry on on your fantasy chain if you want, but the main network is going to continue with its own uh, path. So the what the split came down to was a huge disagreement in the community, which is kind of uh, bad or unfortunate that it got to such an extent that like lines were drawn in the sand, right? Because these things are not done lightly. Like if the, if, if the community all discusses and they say, oh, okay, we want to change the rules in this way or that way, um, obviously people float the idea, it's discussed, you know, there's a bit of back and forth, somebody puts in a suggestion, you know, and generally you want it because you want to keep everyone on the same page at like a social or a political level as well as a literally a technical level of the network. Okay. Uh, but the since it is literally just based on what what's called consensus, um, it, you know, if, if things get to an absolute impasse, then the only, uh, the only option at a certain point, and this is effectively what the Bitcoin cash crowd came to, was to just be like, fine, we're just going to change our rules because we think those should be the rules and that's going to cause a, a divergence because then at the point where we've we've all updated our rules at a certain time that we've all agreed to, then if we broadcast a transaction, your network is not going to recognize it as valid. And if your network is broadcasting transactions, our network won't recognize it as valid, right? So as you can see in the diagram this is kind of how it goes that it comes up I think I think this was a little bit misleading I wish he put the fade going the other way so you could see that it was like a these blocks were shared but basically it was you know block 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 and then there was a certain uh, block height which the Bitcoin cash side had effectively agreed this is when we're going to split off and on that block they all like switched over their software to their new set of rules and then from that point it, it kind of split in two so because this is the history of all transactions, what that means is when there's a split like this, everybody on the Bitcoin Cash and on the BTC, you know, they get an equal share, right? So it's like a, you effectively have like Sweet. a free market vote because if you, like, let's say me, for instance, at the time of the split, I had some, um, some Bitcoin that was on the original chain. And then after it splits, I had X amount of BCH and X amount of BTC. I had an equal amount. And so does everybody else who, who was on the, who had Bitcoin up until that point. And so then those two coins trade against each other on the market and either, you know, people sell out of this one and they buy this one or they, you know, sell out of this one and they buy this one. And the, the market itself can judge, okay, there's this rule set and this rule set, you know, have at it, like which one gains more traction and adoption and, and stuff over time. 
So the fork kind of effectively doubled the number of coins that existed, but with two different categories. And then, yeah, well, that, that's right, exactly. So what you need to think is that it's like let's say Bitcoin and then there's all the other cryptocurrencies, right? Like Litecoin or Dogecoin or whatever. The difference with yeah. them is that they started from their own first block and started tra traveling along, right? Whereas this one, they were one and then they split into two. But at the time that they split, yeah, well then you, you know, in some sense, you could say that now there's 42 million Bitcoins, right? Because before there was 21 million, just 21 million. And here there's 21 million on this chain and 21 million on this chain. Uh, and so that's why there is a lot of animosity and arguing about which one is the real, you know, Bitcoin is because one thing people on both sides agree is that it's pretty important that there's only 21 million. But then what? But now there's 42 million of two different types of coins. Well, there's, there's 21 million of two types. Yeah. So there's they each only have yeah. 21 million. And then there's so I guess there is 42 million total if you wanted to acquire all the Bitcoin and all the Bitcoin cash, you would have to get 42 million, right? But the the theory, I guess, or the supposition of people probably on both sides is that sooner or later, one of the chains will kind of die out and lose support. And at that point, only the people on the real, you know, Bitcoin will, um, will you know, con continue having their coins, right? Or the other one, it will just get so little usage or, you know, everyone will stop caring about it, right? And this is where like, so you can see there's another slide that he's got in here somewhere, which is about how there's, this kind of happened again. So if we, yeah. But could, yeah, could there not be, could there not be another, another fork at some point? Could it not split into another set of, of different types of Bitcoins and, yeah. um, and then split and split and split until there are just dozens of competing different types of coins, which make bitcoin cash kind of have more of a competing market. yeah well that's what that's what this is i'm, I'm less i can't really see if where he's got the if that he put this whole slide up on the as the one slide but you can sort of see here basically that he had it was bitcoin it split into bitcoin cash and then btc and then btc split into bitcoin gold and bitcoin diamond kind of split off there and then bitcoin cash also split into bitcoin sv as well here so it has been sort of forking off and, and splitting off in those ways right and this is this is both a good and a bad thing I, I guess i would say right on one on one hand the good the good thing about it is that it's a free market so you know that's very true to the spirit of bitcoin is that something has to compete and survive on its own merits you know if somebody disagrees to such a vehement extent about any principle of the network then they're free to just fork off and start their own network and if they get enough support that's great if they don't yeah fork off right <laughs> you know you can yeah. just fork off right that's it's and that's kind of that's kind of you know it's kind of nice how that that is the way it works right anybody if you have a better idea than bitcoin well a you can start a competing cryptocurrency or you can start a fork of bitcoin depending on how you how you feel like you want to do it right so it has to survive it has to you know competition breeds excellence kind of a, a, an idea the, the downside is, of course, every time you go through a split like this, it's quite sort of traumatic on the on the currency, because even though technically it's, you know, it's becoming more accepted or known as a as a way of, um, you know, things diverging, it splits the community. Right. And this is what I mentioned in one of those uh, other episodes about how the value of the coin is ultimately the value of the community, how many people are accepting it, how many people want to trade with it, you know, how many people are putting their time and energy into making 
you know, programs and infrastructure and, you know, podcasts or whatever they're doing to support that coin. So, um, you know, you can, you, you can adopt a strategy of hedging your bets where you just get some of all of them and say, okay, well, you know, I don't know, or I don't have a strong opinion, or you can have the strategy I just, of, I like this I one, I'm going with this. A... Yeah, exactly. And so one of the, you know, big parts about it is that, yeah, maybe at the time of the initial split between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash, you know, some people didn't know. And so they just held both because if you're in it earlier, then, you know, you you, you get an equal share in, in that kind of split and you can just literally just let it sit. And if one of them dies out, it dies out. And if one of them does, it doesn't. But in general, people, obviously, if they're using money, <laughs> they're going to they're gonna tend to use one more or the people they transact with are going to say, look, give me this one. I'm not interested in that one or or whatever. So it should be, and in theory, it should be a compounding thing, like of these ones that we've talked about, right? So Bitcoin is obviously by far the biggest, this sort of BTC, uh, and then Bitcoin Cash is the second biggest by a decent margin. And then Bitcoin SV has had some, you know, like I think it's about $150 or something right now. And then these other ones, Bitcoin Gold and Bitcoin Diamond, like whoever forked off from them, <laughs> they didn't get very much support, right? Nobody was like, great, Bitcoin Diamond. So they're basically so they're, dead and gone. <laughs> they're trying to do they're trying to do the thing that I saw as a potential kind of downside. Well what if everyone just forks off I can make all my own bitcoins and actually yeah. they tried that and no one really cares about them so it didn't work. Yeah, that's right. It's like starting your own social media platform or whatever. You can be like, screw Facebook, I'm gonna have my own site and then you can just start up put up your own site. But if nobody joins you on that one then it doesn't matter, you know, who you're gonna be communicating with, right? And, and money is exactly the same, right? Doesn't like you, well, it's unfortunate, but you can't really just start your own currency and just say, look, I'm going to have Jeremy dollars and just create that. The government will be like, what are you doing? And come and arrest you, right? But uh, if, if you took that away and you just said, I'm going to make Jeremy dollars, then there wouldn't actually be very much use because nobody else would be like, great, give me Jeremy dollars in order to buy, you know, a loaf of bread or a piece of artwork or something like that. So, when the coin splits, you, you you need to have a lot of a lot of things backing you up in order to do it because you need a decent chunk of the people that are willing to go with you. You need some of the miners that got to back your network. You obviously need um, companies, so like big cryptocurrency exchanges and stuff like that. Like when they originally split, some companies they didn't have Bitcoin Cash for a little while because they were like, we we think this is just going to die. We're not backing it. And they just they just didn't list it, and it just you couldn't trade with those companies until eventually it sort of proved its merit that it had enough uh, support that it became you know more important for them to support it than just leave it out, right? But originally, that at the exact time of the fork, not everyone was convinced, right? Probably some people still aren't convinced. Like, if you want to trade with me, for instance, give me Bitcoin Cash, I'm loving it. If you want to give me Bitcoin. I'm not really that interested. I mean, maybe I would accept it, but even if I did, all I would do is just accept it and then immediately sell it for Bitcoin Cash because I just don't have any faith in the long-term uh, prospect of, of what's going on there. So yeah, you need the uh, merchants, obviously, like uh, shops that are accepting it. You need developers as well, like as your coin goes on and adds more features and stuff like that. You know, if 90% of the developers who know about your coin and they know the code and everything like that, if they all think, screw it like we're going with the other fork then you might be uh you know up a paddle up a creek without a paddle right that's kind of something else i don't really get what what kind of features or like 
yeah what what can like contribute is to the code even like add to it yeah so i mean there's there's a there's a lot of things right so i mean on once in, in one sense you don't want them adding too much right and that's really where the the split again between bitcoin and all the other cryptocurrencies kind of came from right because bitcoin has a certain features and people thought okay we're going to use this for payments or whatever and then something else like ethereum vitalik buterin who's the founder of ethereum he thought hey wouldn't it be sick if we could have you know autonomous programs that were automatically transferring around money and doing this that and the other had all these grand ideas and everybody was like yeah but that's a bit much like that's a bit complicated for us we're we're trying to do payments basically so he just started his own cryptocurrency and he made it so that you can put in automated programs that you know automatically track the weather and then pay out to somebody on a certain date or you know all kinds of like stuff right and every other cryptocurrency a lot of them come from that right there was one uh like monero and uh which started which was based on the idea of somebody who was like look we need this to be more anonymous so they were putting in more features for anonymity and then you know there's some coins that like dogecoin right they literally were like let's just create it and let's just make it a meme that was the whole thing so whatever they're adding to their coin it's probably in service of making it a meme rather than actually making it a stable like platform for payments uh so any yeah from what i can understand sorry the only features you really need are being able to pay someone not have double payments and that's basically it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Exactly. And I, I agree with you. I think for uh, for the case of Bitcoin, and this is why the Bitcoin versus Bitcoin cash uh, conflict is, is quite important, I would say, is because one cryptocurrency is generally going to be exactly what you're saying, just the payment system. And then if there's a lot of other coins and they have a lot of other different stuff, you can trade into those coins if you want to get involved in those specific niche cases. But the big case, the, the killer app for cryptocurrency, in my mind, is definitely just that paying a to b that's it as simple as that and so that's what the um you know so that's what i think the bitcoin developers or maybe not so much but the bitcoin cash developers certainly that's kind of what their their focus is so but things that you need to fix um uh, for instance like they recently added this feature to bitcoin cash called cash fusion which is where basically you can automatically put your coins into a pool and have them mixed around with someone else so that you all have increased financial privacy right so like that's one kind of example of things that you could add that maybe aren't way out there like oh we're going to have autonomous taxis that are automatically you know communicating with each other and turning into some sort of ai that's transacting with itself and buying its own petrol or nothing too crazy like that but just simple stuff uh that at the base layer is 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 important right but like financial privacy but yeah you're right that at the at the core level you don't want to put too much into your network really because what you want to do is provide a framework that then other companies if they want to add different things they can do that you know on top of it right yeah so how come how come you so I've I've heard you say quite a lot that you consider Bitcoin Cash to be the main Bitcoin. Yeah, I don't I don't know whether main is is really the right word, but I, I, like it sort of comes down to this this ideological uh, split that there was, 
where I, I think when, because when somebody says Bitcoin to me, I think of it like this graph that we were looking before where it, it goes along and it's all Bitcoin up until it splits. And then to me, the sort of the heritage of Bitcoin passed through into Bitcoin Cash. But obviously for some people, it's the opposite way around where they think it was Bitcoin and then the sort of heritage or the true legacy of the, you know, the first ever cryptocurrency passed into uh, BTC Core, which is luckily for them got the got to keep the main branding right but at the time of the split it was contentious so bitcoin cash went with bitcoin cash and bitcoin core was actually they got their their ticker symbol change was changed from btc to xbt on a lot of the exchanges like kraken is one exchange that still has that because at the time of the split everybody was like well who's to say which one is is bitcoin like you should basically both rebrand and the way it worked out Bitcoin Core ended up sort of sliding back in there uh, and and changing it back to be or, or more sort of on the main brand. Um, but, you know, to, to me and I guess a lot of other people who are from the early days, it's more sort of the idea that, well, Bitcoin Cash, well, we had to rebrand, but we are still <laughs> sort of the, the main thing. And that split, it came about because there was so much disagreement about what was the, the future, basically, of Bitcoin. And the currency that I signed up for and which a lot of other people signed up for and were very excited about was this peer-to-peer -peer electronic uh, cash, which like it's in the first line of the white paper and all, all those uh, sort of reasons, right? And that's what I was excited about in 2013, 2014, when I was sending to people, look at this, this can change the world. We can use this instead of having $5, you know, notes in your wallet, we can just have this and and all that sort of stuff. And so when the, when the split happened, uh, that, that was still the vision that that community had. And uh, that's, in some ways, the, the rebranding is quite apt because it does emphasize more that part of it. And then the other side of the fork, who originally, uh, to them, it wasn't so much that they were against it being more a cash system. That's kind of come along as a rationalization. It was just, it was more that there was sort of technical arguments about uh, the one megabyte block size limit and being worried that if, if too many too much uh, payment stuff started happening on their coin, then it would reduce reduce the ability for people to run nodes. And then if you had less nodes, you know, it would be more easy to control or for some outside force to come in. They had this sort of an angle to it. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to do a very good <laughs> job of explaining it because to me, it's mostly nonsense. But basically, they they had that uh, they had that opinion at the time, and then since then. Uh, because Bitcoin Cash has still had quite a strong vision for what it's going to do, Bitcoin has needed to contrast. And so the uh, supporters of it have had more of the idea that it would be like digital gold, that it would be a store of value and that they it would be like in some world where uh, you locked up your Bitcoin for, for 20 years and it was fine, but then you used some other coin for your day-to-day -day spending, right? Just sort of putting gold in a vault. Uh, but that kind of, that's not... That's not what it was. That, that's not what it was made for. <laughs> no, I'm glad you can see that, right? But I'm sure at some point you'll talk to someone or you'll read some comment on the internet, and somebody will say, "You know, that's what it was. It was digital gold the whole time." And you just think, "That's just that's that's lunacy to me." But obviously, some people they were there, 2013. They signed up for whatever they signed up for, and. And that's the way they want to they want to run it, right? And so, yeah, I mean, the coins do they trade against each other on the open market? And to date, Bitcoin Cash has had the worst end of it. I mean, at the time of the split, I 
predicted and I expected that pretty quickly everybody would snowball onto the Bitcoin cash side, but that's not what happened. Instead, what happened was most people stuck with Bitcoin or at least most of the market cap uh, stuck with Bitcoin. And I think uh, what I overestimated at the time was the uh, was the idea that this uh, that uh, what what I overestimated was how switched on people would be to this problems coming up in the future. So now, if we have a look here on uh, Transaction Street, yeah, let me just uh, refresh that. But this kind of situation where Bitcoin now has such so many backlog transactions and the fees have gone up to eight dollars a transaction right instead of like one cent uh my internet's kind of lagging out here that's a tenth of a cent. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly a tenth of a cent or less uh and bitcoin is this eight dollar fees at the time of the fork i thought well obviously this is what's going to happen if you cap the amount of uh transactions like that but the people who supported it i guess they weren't too worried about that uh and now or at least at the time of the fork, even right after the fork, it was, there was not so much demand, there was not so many transactions that it came instantly to be $10 fees, right? At the time, it was still one cent and one cent or whatever. And then over time, it started to build up and up and up on, on Bitcoin, but on Bitcoin Cash, it's still low. So even though at the time of the fork, I felt like, well, Bitcoin Cash is the obvious thing, people weren't really like punished or they didn't have much of an issue of, of sticking with Bitcoin. And because it like got the main branding to most people who don't know anything about it. Well, Bitcoin is the main game in town, right? When, if you don't know any different, you just think Bitcoin's obviously the one I don't know about. What are these other copies are? Bitcoin Cash must just be some shit knockoff or- It's like, yeah. like Digimon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's basically the Digimon of cryptocurrency. If you were, uh, yeah, if you're a kid in the 90s. Uh, yeah, that's right. Or, or, or the late 80s, I guess. So yeah, that's right. It's like Digimon, it's like Bitcoin Cash. And so, yeah, Bitcoin Cash seems like the inferior one, maybe if you're, if you're, especially if you're big money that's coming to the scene and you don't do your reading, you just, somebody says to you, look, cryptocurrency is really kicking off and we got to get in on this. You think, okay, Bitcoin, I've heard it, heard about that four or five times. That's the one. And that's, that's what you go for. But of course now, like in my previous uh, episodes, I, that I think we're getting to the point where this is now becoming enough of a problem for Bitcoin that people are going to switch and maybe they're not missing out on the existing community, but on the new users like like you, then they, you can't. They don't even need to know the history of all this stuff or the ideology of what you know back and forth there was about it. All they need to know is I don't want to. I don't want to pay eight dollars fifty to buy a something from someone yeah, that's right exactly like if you know it's, it's just so self-defeating on the face of it like if it costs 850 for you to receive the money so somebody else needs to send you let's say i'm trying to send ten dollars if somebody else needs to send you eighteen dollars to get through ten dollars and then by the time i send it to somebody else it's only two dollars like we, we, it's 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 pointless right where does that fee go where does the fee go right so in the um when 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 i send a transaction to you on bitcoin there's what's called the outputs so obviously i can send from my address to your address uh and then whatever i leave out of what i've sent is the fee and the fee is collected by the miners when they make a block so uh when a miner mines a new block they get a certain amount of uh bitcoin as a default reward which is called the coinbase so 
that's that's like the issuance of new bitcoins so they get some new bitcoins and they get the transaction fees that come in from each transaction so the idea oh, there is that yeah so the the coinbase the the default bitcoins which you get in each block tails off over time and that's kind of like the bootstrap fund you know that means that there's an incentive to mine even when bitcoin was worth you know one cent or two cents right you were still getting and there was no transactions you were still getting some bitcoins but then the fees uh contribute also to the income of the miners and so the if you ask um you know bitcoin cash supporters they will tell you well our strategy should be to get as many people using it as possible because if there's hundreds of thousands of transactions every single day all those one cent or two you know point one cent they all start to add up right if you have a huge volume of transactions so that will be how we'll be able to support the mining network in the future but if you ask the bitcoin core people their argument is sort of the opposite which is this is not a self-sustaining system unless there's a decent transaction fees going to the miners like five dollars a transaction and then you know because you need a lot less five dollar transactions to keep a you know to fund a network than a lot more you know fractional um you know fee transactions and that's the kind of the fact that it's expensive is because of a bottleneck because there's a one megabyte limit on something yeah so when the uh when bitcoin was was first uh released by satoshi Nakamoto, there was no limit on the size of the blocks um but at a very early on in bitcoin's history he added a one megabyte limit to the size of the blocks because he was worried about uh in the early days before bitcoin had taken off and it was this big thing that somebody would come along and they would just kill the network by just you know you can write a script write a computer script and just spam hundreds of thousands of, of transactions and he was worried that with his little fledgling network that only had i don't know how many people on it right but maybe 10 or 20 people i don't know how many people a few people uh that if somebody came along and as the internet is wont to do decided look I, my my fun is going to be ruining someone else's fun then they could have just killed the whole project right there right so he put in this one megabyte limit so that the transaction wouldn't get the network wouldn't get overwhelmed with the amount of uh data coming through the system but so he put in this one megabyte limit and he wrote some comments saying, yeah, this is a temporary thing though, because we're never going to get to global adoption with, with one megabyte uh, blocks. But then obviously at the time of the fork, which was, uh, you know, six, six years later. So that was probably in 2010, maybe that Satoshi was doing that or maybe early 2011. And then in 2011, Satoshi leaves Bitcoin. And then in 2016, you get this huge uh, community you know, civil war about this one megabyte limit because according to some people, such as myself or anybody who went with Bitcoin Cash, that was just a temporary fix at the time and there's no sense in keeping it. But according to some people, it had become sort of enshrined in this is the point of Bitcoin or this is how it's supposed to work. And so they kind of fixed on that as it's got to be one megabyte and not any higher and we can't lift it. And that's why if you look in the, in the history of this uh, 10 years of Bitcoin, type of uh, video he does a good job of explaining how there was various people trying to compromise like what if we did uh two megabytes and we saw how that went and then we looked you know at, at different things or what about if we did eight megabytes or what if we had a scaling system or there was so many different things proposed at the time and the community went back and forth and everybody arguing over their different um their different versions and ideas and trying to get enough people on the same page 
and basically it went on for long enough it was you know probably 18 months or nearly two years of back and forth about all of this that the people who wanted to who just thought fuck it let's we just need to raise the limit it got to such a point that it was like <laughs> you gotta you gotta draw a line in the sand eventually if you you know talk and talk and talk to somebody and they're not listening there was that section of the community that just would not budge or come to any compromise although they did there was these famous incidents again it's sort of explained in this video like the hong kong agreement so on where there was sort of these agreements made okay maybe we'll do a hybrid plan or something and every single time it all just melted down like people couldn't get on the same page no matter what they said or they agreed to so so there's none of that limit on bitcoin cash they, they i think what they changed it to i think right now i think it's uh 32 megabytes is the limit but the plan is when it gets close to 32 megabytes to just raise it again right and uh i think what they actually have is they have a maximum of 32 in the protocol but it's up to the miners uh yeah the miners and the nodes they can they can choose their own limit so i think some of them even have maybe like two or four at the moment and that was how when the original fork was going to happen uh that people thought well why don't we just let the network vote basically and they could run whichever uh you know version of the software they wanted which had the limit that they wanted so if if some people wanted one megabyte they could run one megabyte and according to them only one megabyte blocks and some people could run eight megabytes and then obviously if most people were signaling for eight then we could move to eight you know as a community but that it didn't really work out that way uh but i think that's that is the way bitcoin cash works now where I think the, the limit is 32 megabytes across the board, but some people have it set higher or lower. And then the idea is as the transactions grow and get bigger, you know, we'll, we'll raise the limit, you know, as and when necessary, which is hopefully not going to be such a big issue as it was previously, because this time you're only running Bitcoin Cash if you're on board with that plan. If you're not on board with that plan, you're running, uh, you know, Bitcoin um, BTC Core or one of the, one of the Bitcoin diamond or something. I don't know. Or Bitcoin Cash too. Yeah. Um, well, that's like Bitcoin SV. You know, that kind of forked off because they oh, had yeah. their own ideas about about how it would how it would all sort of work out. Yeah. Okay, that kind of answers one of my questions about because um, I, I I was a little bit kind of concerned concerned I guess about the fact that um well what's would be stopping Bitcoin Cash from getting a ten dollar transaction fee but because it doesn't have that hard limit set in i guess it, it's kind of the numbers get really big really quickly so hmm. it's exponential not linear yeah exactly a 32 megabyte blockchain is absurdly more is needed yeah <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah exactly and, and i mean it does come down to again that's that's not to say that for Bitcoin Cash, that that's the only plan for getting to a, a scenario where literally everybody in the world could use Bitcoin. But that's kind of like that's one of the tools is you raise the block size limit, and then there's other solutions as well that that people are looking at too, right? And I mean they have some of those on uh, BTC Core and that you know. So there is there it, it is an attack on multiple fronts, right? In engineering, you generally you you want to get your quick wins and then also work on some of your harder stuff as well. Uh, but being sort of ideologically 
puritanical about it such as btc core did and just that they've got this mindset that the one megabyte can never ever change and they're just locked onto that i have no idea how they're how they're planning to get that to more adoption um and of course if they don't get more adoption they will eventually be outcompeted that's that's just uh, like i was saying before it's just a, it's a free market and maybe bitcoin cash has the lower market value now but well i guess I guess that's the thing they've they've kind of they've doubled down because of um, because of the way because of like the absurd price spikes and dips that you get it it's turned well at least a lot of the public I, I'm I'm assuming I'm using my perspective as the idea for like a public perspective but a lot of the people I talk to see Bitcoin as like a stock that you invest in because because it's volatile and then you make money and you lose loads of money because you bought at the wrong time and stuff like that but that's not what it was supposed to be no and i mean it it is you know and that's why it's that's one of the reasons that cryptocurrency has had the uh problems or the issues or or whatever that it has is because it's it is so new and explaining that to people has taken a very long time like people are not used to in the finance world they're like okay you've got cash you've got bonds you've got stocks you got real estate, uh, and people people understand these are the categories. And then when cryptocurrency came in, it was kind of like this is a new category. People, are like, it just can't be a new category. We've got we've got the categories right in our financial accounting software. This should be a you know it should be in this. But then of course, it was it's a it's a commodity. Yeah, it's a commodity exactly. Or I mean, it is sort of a commodity, right? And it is sort of a stock, right? Well, that's that's how kind of Bitcoin. Bitcoin Core, I think, want, wants to, from what I've heard, uh, that's what Bitcoin Core wants to see itself as. It wants to be a commodity, not a, not not a yeah. currency. And I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's nuts, right? It's called a cryptocurrency for a reason, right? That's it's literally in the name. Uh, but yeah, exactly. And if they want to make the world's greatest uh, buy and hold commodity, then they're they're welcome to do that. But ultimately the demand for a currency is driven by how many people want to hold it right and in the internet uh, of cryptocurrencies it's not really limited to a geography it's not enforced as to in this place you have to use this currency so ultimately if everybody is using bitcoin cash why would they want uh bitcoin that's that's my logic yeah so um, I've I've been asking. I've, I was asking some of my friends. I was telling them that I was going to be doing this, and if they had kind of any <laughs> questions, yeah. um, kind of. One of them was like, uh, "So I yolo buy Doge." <laughs> um, I was like, "Whatever." Um, but another one of them kind of said that uh, he, he kind of sees cartel just a way to do illegal transactions. Um, and like, what would happen if the government made it illegal to 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 trade in yeah. crypto? Well, I mean, this is an interesting point, right? So, obviously, Bitcoin did originally have uh, its first ma- major use case was this site called the Silk Road, right? That was the first uh, big market for uh, transacting in Bitcoin, which was uh, a site on the on the dark net. I mean, I'm sure there's tons of them now, right? But this one called uh, Silk Road was the first where you could buy and sell basically drugs, but also other stuff like uh, it was anything that couldn't harm people. Like so in some places where they had 
uh, religious crackdowns on owning copies of the Bible. I think they even sold Bibles on Silk Road for uh, a Bitcoin back in the day. But because it was obviously this non-governmental currency, you can't ring up PayPal and say, hey, PayPal, can we have our online drug market? You know, let me submit you my driver's license and all that. It just, it just doesn't work, right? <laughs> so Bitcoin was a, was a way for that, that to happen. So, it, so it, of course, it, it did arise, right? This guy, uh, Ross Ulbricht, who's now probably in jail uh, for life and I hope he gets out at some point, but uh, it's not looking good. Anyway, he, he was this entrepreneur that had the idea, look, we've got this new currency and, and now we can sell things uh, online, which the government or existing payment systems might not approve of, right? And then it was sort of the same with WikiLeaks as well. Julian Assange, he you know, got a lot of uh, controversy and stuff, but when the f- funding was shut down to WikiLeaks, he thought, right, well, I'll just accept Bitcoin then because there's no way that they can uh, shut that down. So Bitcoin did come from uh, being historically associated a lot with that sort of criminal activity, but there's a lot there's a lot of uh, counterpoints to that, right? So the first the first counterpoint is that the favorite currency of criminals in the world is the U.S. dollar, like without a doubt, like Bitcoin or not uh, or any cryptocurrency, USD is where it's at. If you're a drug lord, you you're stashing up you know piles of USD in your um, in in your house. You know there's uh, the, what you want is, uh, you know, what everyone else wants, right? So in, a, in, a, in any technology, right? Like criminals use mobile phones, they use the internet, they use Nike shoes, they use roads, they use everything, right? If, if it's useful for everyone, it will be useful for criminals. That's the, the first point. The second point is they were onto it early because in the black market, which is really just the market, the risk profile is different. On Bitcoin, you don't care. Oh, I mean, in the uh, black market, you don't care if if people think this is a bit weird or like it's outside the societal norms. All you care about is does it work. If it works, you're onto it. You know, you don't, you don't really care about whether it's got legal approval, whether it's got societal approval, whether it's volatile. I mean, that's a risk you got to take, right? If if you're gonna if you're gonna do those kind of deals, so. Uh, so that's that's why criminal activity was initially um, quite attractive to it. And then another another point about it is that I, I don't even think that it was necessarily such a bad thing. Like I don't disavow or want to sort of uh, sweep away that history. I think it was quite important because it was also super exciting, right? Is that then in the early days of Bitcoin, you put out a media story, oh, drugs and hackers and all that stuff. That gets clicks. People are like, what is this? If Bitcoin was not exciting, if it was if it was boring, you know, how would how would people get involved in it, right? And I think even you maybe had a, a touch of that when I sent you some cryptocurrency the other day. You were like, "This is this is cool, right?" Oh, mate, I've got I've got digital money. It's like I feel like I'm in sci-fi. I've I've got just credits. Yeah. Charge the credits to my credit account. Ex- like, what what is this? This is the yeah, future. Exactly, and and that's that that's that same thing, right? Is that Bitcoin was dangerous and exciting and people were thinking, wow, this is outside the norm because we're just not used to that kind of world where where we have a choice of what currency we use or or whatever. And so I don't think, yeah, again, that criminal history is not a, a big point. And now finally you come to the objection, well, what if the government bans it? Okay, well, uh, firstly is it, it doesn't matter so much if any one government bans it because every government is in a prisoner's dilemma against every other one. Because if a country bans Bitcoin, 
all it does is guarantee that or any cryptocurrency right if they ban cryptocurrency all that does is it means that all the investment and all the money and all the companies and so on that want to be involved in that will will lo- relocate right they'll be somewhere else so if you're a company uh, country that is pro cryptocurrency you get a lot of investment and all the all the cryptocurrency industry will flow into your country and the more countries that ban cryptocurrency the higher the incentive becomes for any other country to just say we're going to be the cryptocurrency place that's fine and then of course all the money will like flood into them right so for any one government to ban it all they're doing is is shooting themselves in the foot because they're just encouraging the the money to go somewhere else whatever legal regulation they want to have or however involved they want to be if they just cut themselves off from it well the world's a big place right somebody somewhere will find a way to to make it work or somebody somewhere will be like look this is an opportunity um so i'm not particularly worried about that and for the most part that that's what we've seen right is that in in about 2014 and 2015 legal regulation and government involvement was a huge topic uh in in bitcoin and like the u.s government has made some uh you know like it was very uncertain at the time they've sort of settled into a pretty reasonable middle ground i think as time went on china sort of semi-banned it and then unbanned it uh, and, and all that kind of thing was was happening. But the fact is, as it becomes more accepted and normalized in society, <laughs> at a certain point, it's too big, right? You can't uh, you can't shut it down. And I remember somebody telling a story on some podcast or something where they were there at the time when those discussions were going on, and somebody who was from the government said to them, like, "Look, we we've looked into all this, and we've realized that even if we really wanted to, we can't shut it down. So we kind of don't have any alternative." We we got to roll with it and figure out how to work in that framework. So, yeah, those are my thoughts on the sort of uh, criminal and regulation uh, parts of uh, cryptocurrency. So the kind of there's there's a benefit as well um, that it's kind of that a government can't control it. Right. Uh, you were talking about um, I think it was in the last episode about um, how Rome used its money up areas mm. and then just buy them um the fact the government governments want to do that kind of thing in in general i guess um but the fact that they then don't have control over the money does that just mean that um big corporations then we become like a corp corporatocracy well, I, I don't know more so than we all already are because whoever hey what was that you broke up a bit the power if, if whoever has the money has the power and the governments can't control the money then that means that the governments don't have the power so where would there would be a power vacuum where would that potentially lead? well I, I don't know I, I guess this is this is what we're going to see in the world we're just going to wait and see how it, how's it, how it plays out right but in my mind uh the way it sort of works is that governments historically have they basically have two sources of income right they have direct tax where they say okay we're going to charge you you know 20% of your income or whatever and then they have indirect tax which is they inflate or dip debase the money supply right so that's what happened in ancient rome it's what happens with the u.s government now like there's this nuts stat uh that i think people should look into or find out about that there's something like six trillion dollars uh, of u.s dollars in the world and two trillion of them were created in 2020, right? So that's the rate at which 
new uh, new currency is, is being issued, right? And that doesn't all immediately flow into society or, or rocket prices out of control because a lot of it is obviously hoarded, you know, in banks and in different financial instruments and so on and so forth, right? But you can you can look that up and uh, research. I'm not. I'm definitely not the world's biggest expert on all of this, right? But that that's sort of the idea. So in Bitcoin, yeah, it's yeah. Crazy. And so in in Bitcoin or in any cryptocurrency, uh, well, the first thing is that you can just create a cryptocurrency where the government is control in control. The government can make their own cryptocurrency if they want. And if it's better than Bitcoin or better than Bitcoin Cash, people will use it. So they're welcome to sort of compete against uh on the free market but of course i mean when you think about it i mean they're not gonna have very much luck right because if you say look you can use government coin where you get taxed 10 percent automatically every year and bitcoin where you don't it's a no-brainer right what are people gonna gonna invest in and so yeah so i guess like ultimately a government could take taxes in the form of of yeah, crypto as well. Yeah, exactly. And uh, there was even an article recently about the um, the Miami uh, Miami like local, you know, what's it called, state or city council or whatever was sort of uh, the the guy there. He was big on it, right? So whoever was the I don't know in charge in the government or whatever. And so he was kind of like, yeah, maybe we can accept um, accept uh, accept accept Bitcoin. So yeah, basically just having that kind of system where the government is not in control all that means is that they don't have that option of direct uh, tax or indirect taxation rather, right? Any taxes they have to do have to be very honestly, this is the this is the tax rate, right? Because the current effective tax rate in most places in the world is higher than the amount that you see on your bill because not only is it the percentage on the bill, but also the devaluation of your money because the government gets first bite at whatever new currency it creates. So when you consider that and you think, okay, then... Uh, this is where Bitcoin is sort of quite libertarian in philosophy is that if it spreads around the world and that's the way it is, then the government will be in a position where anything that they want to have, they will have to be able to justify the taxes uh, directly, right? And I, I don't think that's going to be such a bad thing if that means individuals, you know, have there's more accountability in terms of the government as to what they can and can't spend and what their financial policy is. I don't, I don't think that's going to be such a bad thing. But that's my own personal view. And as to anyone else, well, they can make their own ideas. Or, uh, but I would suggest that perhaps they don't necessarily have too much of a choice because uh, Bitcoin's going to keep growing whether or not they, they agree with it. But they're welcome to start their own currency with whatever tax scheme they want and, uh, and see if it can win out. Well, that's something that I was asking. What, what's, what is that? I mean, obviously, I couldn't. What, what is there to stop you from, from starting Jeremy Nothing. Coin, for Nothing. example? Nothing, and that's why if you go on uh, coinmarketcap.com, uh, like I do at the start of every uh, episode, it's something like, let's see here. I've got, it usually says at the top, look at this. Okay, cryptocurrencies, 8,361 uh, cryptocurrencies, at least that are listed on this, uh, on this site at the moment. So yeah, there's just pages and pages of, engine coin terry usd decentralized you know 40 pages of this stuff right so nothing stops anyone from creating a, a cryptocurrency so then it sort of comes to the question of going to be like well why is bitcoin better than any other one why is bitcoin cash better than any other one and the answer is basically the network effect which is that 
uh, all things being equal, you generally want to be able to transact with the largest pool of people, right? It's kind of what I was saying before. And that, that applies to um, government currencies as much as it does to cryptocurrencies, right? But the difference with government currencies is that they don't compete in a free market, because, well, they do, but only uh, to a certain extent, because in a certain country, you know that that currency will always be accepted, right? But if you didn't have that restriction, probably the whole world would just start using US dollars, right? Because like that's, yeah, like Venezuela they, or something. In they kind of already do in, yeah. in some places. Yeah, that's right. So the bigger currency sort of slowly eats up and swallows up the, the smaller ones. And it's the same in cryptocurrency. So then you might say, well, why would cryptocurrency ever outcompete, um, you know, the US dollar? And the answer is, as we've seen, is it's doing a pretty fine job of growing against the US dollar. No problem, because even with the US dollar being so entrenched in the global financial system, it's still less useful or less good as a currency than Bitcoin is. So people are still moving into Bitcoin. And as it grows, that effect just compounds. So that the bigger Bitcoin grows that, you know, like if Bitcoin can get from zero dollars to one dollar, then it can probably get from a hundred dollars to one hundred and one dollars. Right. So it, in that sense, you know, people should have increasing confidence, uh, as I think they, they do have, the bigger it gets, the the faster and the bigger it will can it will continue to spread until, in my mind, it effectively swallows up <laughs> the whole world economy. Uh, and so, yeah, you can't just print a third of the existing Bitcoins again. And put them into circulation for example in one year yeah no yeah exactly it's just just not an option it's just your, your only options are well that like uh you know in well you could but you would have to get the majority of the bitcoin network to agree to it and are they going to agree to that not a chance right because it's not in their best interest it's in the best interest of everyone who's already in uh bitcoin cash or in bitcoin that the 21 million limit stays the limit because that guarantees you've got a certain percentage that's the rules and everyone's pretty happy with it right so so think if there are if there are 7 billion people and only 21 million bitcoins and this is a global currency one bitcoin which is or one bitcoin cash even which is within financial grasp sounds like a fantastic deal <laughs> And this is why people have been shouting from the rooftops about, oh, everybody invest in this for the last <laughs> 10 years, you know, right? And, but it, it takes time to sort of come to this understanding, right? That is only just, you know, this is just my premise that the entire world will be using cryptocurrency one day. But a lot of people think cryptocurrency, well, they think it's not a currency or it's not real or it's a scam or it's going to go away or, you know, what, whatever reasons they have for not liking. I don't know. It doesn't jive with whatever they were taught in economics class I don't, I don't know it could be any number of reasons right but the the point is that yeah you know once if, if you're like me or if you come to that same understanding that cryptocurrency is either going to take over completely or that it's just going to grow from where it is then it's pretty easy to see that yeah one one bitcoin is a lot is is worth a lot right and that's why you know in 2013 when i was buying bitcoin i was telling everyone look this is going to be way more valuable you know some people listened or didn't to certain extents but then what do you know? Give it five more years. And now, now Bitcoin, it is a lot of money. It's like whatever it is, 30, 30 something thousand dollars, right? That's a lot more money than some people have. But at one time it was 200 bucks and anybody could have picked one up. Well, not anyone, but you know, it was more in reach, right? But over time, it, it just becomes more and more, uh, you know, as the value of the currency grows, as the value of the network grows, as more people want to hold uh, 
cryptocurrency, then yeah, of course, as the pie, as the pool expands with a limited supply, the the value of each bit goes up and the achievability of it goes down. So to anybody who's listening to this uh, podcast right now on, you know, 30th of January, 2021, you've got, you've got your opportunity to go out, buy one Bitcoin cash and have 21 millionth of the world's entire value or, you know, eventual currency supply today. That's my prediction. And, uh, you know, we'll see in five, 10, 20 years what happens. Yeah. Crazy. Um, okay. So you know how there's this, there's the whole kind of cycle of hype. I think you, you called yeah. it a cycle of hype. The um, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. The bubbles. Do yeah. you personally keep an eye on that and sell out and then rebuy at certain times? I mean, so the answer basically is no. Um, I do, I do, I was thinking about this today. I will do a video where I go over that whole cycle and how it works and how it kicks off and, you know, talking the history of what's happened in the previous bubbles and everything like that. Um, but the essentially, essentially, if you think about uh, in each bubble, the price is at a certain level, it spikes up to, you know, 10x that or whatever, and then it crashes down to usually, you know, let's say maybe 2x of what it was before, um, you know, but well below the, the thing, you know, everybody knows what a bubble looks like, right? So in in that kind of model, <laughs> well, do, do you know, like, let me, let me just, let me just you know, uh, we can talk about this a bit, bubble psychology. Uh, let's just talk about this. Because it, it makes loads of people realize um, that it's a thing and that they should potentially hold on to for next time. Yeah. So basically, if you if you look at... Uh, I just want this to like... Why well, is Google being slow? But basically, you just want this... Hang on, maybe that's just copy image location. So basically, if you look at this sort of a uh, chart here... Right, can I zoom in on this? So... There we go. Right. So this is this is pretty much how it works, right? Everybody gets really fired up. It goes in a huge like peak, and then it crashes down. But at the end, basically, it is still higher than than when it started, right? Because in the meantime, even after all this mania, like you're saying, some more people have clued in that wait, this is actually pretty cool, and they want to have some as well too, right? So if you think about the Bitcoin uh, price as being a, a series of these, which it it has been, uh, and like I'll do another episode about this, but basically where it went from you know, $1 to $10 and then down to $2. And then eventually it went to like $2 to $30 and then back to $10 or something. And then it went up to like 200 and then back down and then it went up to a thousand and then back down and then went, you know, this latest one is to 31,000 or, or whatever. Right. So it is that series of, um, bubbles and each time that it goes through. Yeah. See, like this is obviously the last most recent bubble is the Bitcoin cash, uh, chart, but, uh, as it goes through those those bubbles, uh, it sort of provides fuel for the people who say Bitcoin is a bubble, uh, and they sort of like, correct. They're like, "Ha ha! It crashed! I knew it! I knew it! It's gone! I can forget about it!" Right? But unlike any other, you know, scam or Ponzi scheme or something like that, the whole idea of cryptocurrency is that there is actually legitimate value to it. It is a real, it is a real thing. So even though it goes through those manias and 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 hype cycles at the end of the day, it doesn't crash and die. And so then once people have heard about it enough times and they've seen it grow and crash a few times, they start to think, wait, what's going on here? Like eventually you can't just say, look, this is a, like Bitcoin can be in a bubble right now, 
but sooner or later you get the idea that the whole idea of bitcoin the whole idea of cryptocurrency is not in general a, a bubble yeah and so when you yeah so hang on so if we go back to this chart a little bit so if you think about this if you buy in here when it's already <laughs> rocketing off then you can try and sort of time the market and buy here and sell here you know whatever like that but what time has basically proven to most sort of seasoned cryptocurrency investors uh is that if you try and if you try and buy in here and sell in here and all that all you end up is doing is screwing yourself out of uh out of money because it's so hard to get it right and to be oh when exactly was the top or or whatever so my uh strategy is really to just you know uh, accumulate some and and that's it pretty much because every every time that i've tried to uh get it right or whatever i've ended up just ending up with less less uh, cryptocurrency than i started with um but it is something that people always try and do they, they it's very attractive to people like oh yeah i could double my money like or, or whatever but once you if you if you're in it before it's a bubble or you if you get into it at a bubble the biggest mistake you can do is just selling out what you should do is as the price crashes off, you sort of dollar cost average, you buy a little more, a little more, a little more slowly. And then by the time the next bubble comes around, you're sitting there chilling, right? But uh, what people do is they get in these bubbles, they crash, they sell out, and then they forget about it. And then three years later, they hear it's gone through the roof again. And they think, why did I sell out? You know, And then they buy some more, they get into the same uh, cycle. So really you've got to see it as, uh, and it comes down to education, right? And that's part of why I'm doing this podcast is that once people understand okay, this is a cycle, where at this point in the cycle, but in the long term, this is a technology, it's you know got this revolutionary aspect, it's doing this and this, people understand it, then maybe they're more like, oh, okay, I'll just buy a little bit at a time, and then when it goes through a bubble, I'm, I'm already sorted, right? The best point to be at the bubble is, is at the start, before it even kicks off, but naturally, most people find out about it or get involved when it's in the bubble. So I guess you, that kind of leads on. You don't really spend that much time, like checking it, because you're not there. <laughs> I mean, other than because it's like interesting to you personally, um, you're not there like checking it minute by minute to see if there's been an absurd I, spike. I, and I have been. I have been in the past. You know, I have obsessively followed the price of cryptocurrency, and definitely. Uh, especially a few years ago when I was really into it, uh, I just had such an absurd, you know, allocation of, of, of so much like cryptocurrency. I was following it all the time and whatever. And it does, it wears on your psychology. You're just having something that volatile and that, uh, yeah, that volatile, it just sort of drains on your, your state of mind. Um, so yeah, that at a certain point I, I sold quite a lot of it, uh, because, I was like, God, I just can't, I can't live like this, right? Where I was just obsessed with watching the price and I so like jacked into it and, and everything. But the, from, uh, you know, with that, that experience behind me, I mean, now I, I don't, I mean, I check the price every day, just at least at the moment, you know, because I'm doing this podcast and stuff. I'm curious, but I'm not too super concerned about whether it uh, goes up or down. And the, the reasons for that are that the volatility is less overwhelming once you understand the fundamentals basically right if you just bought cryptocurrency because you heard it's hype and you're excited about it then every slight thing is sort of confirming or denying whether you were right as to this investment you made or whether your mate hyped you up or sold you down the river 
But once you understand, okay, there's a revolutionary technology that's changing the world, once you've transacted with it a bunch, once you've bought things with it, as, you, as it just becomes a routine everyday thing, you just you worry about it less. Another thing is that I mentioned before, but I'm trying to switch over some of my income into uh, Bitcoin Cash. And when you do that as well, I think that also helps with dealing with the volatility because then it's basically a no-lose situation, right? Either Bitcoin Cash goes up, in which case it's good because I got paid last month, still got some of that, or it goes down, in which case my next paycheck is bigger, <laughs> effectively, right? Uh, I'm getting paid more Bitcoin Cash if my uh, yeah. income is denominated in um, in you know British pounds, right? So then th- then it's basically it's a no lose situation. Either either Bitcoin is, Cash is going up, or it's you know in which case my yeah net worth is expanding or whatever you know that bitcoin cash part of it is expanding or it's going down in which case i'm i'm getting more for my money basically uh with the long-term view that eventually it'll go back up again which it (laughs) always has right so yeah so that's sort of yeah so i figure that this will this is something that um once for example tesco's or asda Mm. start accepting cryptocurrency yeah so that's a big uh, shopping sort of ch- supermarket chain for people outside the UK. Oh yeah, um, Walmart. If what once Walmart start collecting a uh, accepting cryptocurrency, yeah. Um, what what do you reckon it would take for that to happen? Uh, well, I mean, the number one answer is just time. <laughs> so that that's it. You know, as every every year, every day, there's no you can't go backwards basically in the cryptocurrency stages and i'll probably want to do a video about this as well too but when you think about it everybody starts at ignorance they don't know anything about cryptocurrency just like every topic in the world and then (laughs) and and then you get to um you know sort of like a five stages of grief type thing right people go into denial where they're like this is not real or i don't know about this or i don't understand it or whatever and then it sort of gets to the point of curiosity right once they've heard about it enough times and they look into it and then like you know for instance you have all these questions and then slowly those questions get answered and you know more and more and then you try using it yourself but you can't unuse cryptocurrency if you've used it before well you can maybe say i don't want to use this or whatever but you can't deny to yourself oh that's how it works and this is you know you're more comfortable with it than you were before when it was unknown and scary and so as time goes on just more and more people in the world have got familiar with the idea of cryptocurrency and have used it and transacted with it a bit and yes okay it's still sort of splintered into these different cryptocurrencies or the forks with bitcoin versus bitcoin cash or all the other options all those sort of things but that's still the pool of you know it's, it's still constantly growing right it's much easier for me to uh get on the same page with somebody who already knows about crypto maybe we just disagree on the specific one but you know <laughs> we're still we're still both don't really dispute that it's a it's a it's a thing and so yeah, you both want a decentralized, um, anonymous, instant payment system. Yeah, with all the kind of perks that not being attached to the government has, like. Yeah, and then you want to give it, your mate a twenty-pound note. Yeah, that's right. And then once the basically once that pool of people, uh, and this is where I think people misunderstand is that in cryptocurrency like in 2014 maybe 2015 there was a huge focus on more merchants people were sort of being like ah Newegg accepts uh bitcoin or microsoft accepted bitcoin for a little while and that was really exciting and that was definitely a a good thing 
but I don't feel like we necess- that doesn't need to be a huge focus. And while that's one advantage that Bitcoin Cash has over Bitcoin is that it's starting to build up that uh, network of, of merchants again, the, it's much more important to have the uh, holders of like the people accepting, uh, what, do you, what do you say, like people, people saving uh, a cryptocurrency, then the merchants just follows on from that naturally, right? Because if, let's say if 5% of, of people in society are holding cryptocurrency then for a merchant well maybe you're missing five percent of business if you don't if you don't accept that right or maybe people are people are going to naturally shop at places that have the currency that they that they want to want to spend in uh which is not something we're used to because we're used to a world of in one area there's one currency but as you know time goes on as this idea of having a proliferation and a choice by the consumer goes on then the merchants will sort of be in the position of oh wow i've probably got to accept uh more and more different things and obviously there'll be services that you can pay in any currency and then it converts to whatever the merchant themselves um sort of sort of wants so i think as more and more like for instance you you didn't have any cryptocurrency and now you do and maybe you're keen to give it away or maybe you're not but either way you're now potentially a customer if a bit you know if uh if uh i want to hoard it like a like a dragon hell yeah exactly that's right and i think that's a good thing and obviously once you have the the more people you have who want to who want to hold this at any cost or you know not at any cost but the more people you have that want to save in um, cryptocurrency then the more commerce just arises right because if if i wanted something from you or you wanted something from me just as per normal you know if i bought you a beer or whatever I'd be like, give me Bitcoin Cash, son. Like, don't don't give me this GBP, right? Like, so so I think the merchants that just comes that naturally arises from having a large pool of people that are, are already holding and uh, willing to you know transact in that currency. Yeah, I've got my I've got my five five million Bitcoin caches. I keep like opening my phone and just having a look at it there. Yeah, it's and exciting, I saw that like right? yeah. there's well, there's what. I don't quite. I still don't quite get um, what one hundred and thirty confirmations means. Right. So, well, you know, when we looked at that graph of the before of the the Bitcoin uh, split and everything like that, and I was showing you with the blocks going along. Yeah. Uh, well, so that's just how many blocks there has been since that transaction got into a block. So that's what uh, when we are looking at this. Uh, you know, transaction street, that's what the bus is. The bus is a block, right? Uh, so all the transactions get into a block and then it, when it happens, you sort of got to be watching it for a while to get it. This sort of light goes green and it ships off into the blockchain, right? That's, that's the block. Confession. Kind of. Hang on, say that again. You, you, you Say it again. So every transaction after that transaction confirms the transaction well no not every transaction but every block so a, a block a block of transactions gets layered on one at a time so it's sort of batched up right but the and this kind of goes into all the mining and the proof of work and everything like that but basically if something is a very recent transaction then it's much in theory it's much easier for somebody to like unwind it right let's say if they made a hostile takeover of the bitcoin network like let's say if there was a fork right whether or not your transaction ended up being in there or not is more if it's it was more recent it's obviously more contentious as to whether whereas if it's 
you know, if it was a year ago, then obviously if there's a fork now, nobody's going to be disputing over this transaction that was a year ago, right? Or if it kind of comes down to with the miners and everything like that, if somebody, let's say, wanted to sort of do a hostile takeover of Bitcoin and they wanted to try and sort of spend some money to you, but then, you know, get a Lamborghini or whatever, get something from you and then rewrite that out of Bitcoin. Well, the most recent ones is obviously more vulnerable to that kind of um, opportunity, right? And that's another point where Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Core sort of diverged as to their philosophy, which is Bitcoin Cash has what I would say is the original intent that just like when I sent to you, uh, in general, zero confirmations is fine for for medium or small amounts. You know, if you're buying a house, maybe you want to wait around for a, an hour to check. But I'm not exactly worried that if I send you five dollars of Bitcoin Cash, that somebody's going to hijack the whole fucking network <laughs> to to get that five dollars, right? So that's called zero confirmation transaction. You just send it, uh, and you've got it. That's it. But with the Bitcoin Core, they were very worried about. Uh, these sort of zero confirmation transactions. So they added, and of course it came about because the fees were so high, the transactions were getting stuck and there was a lot of <laughs> a lot of clamor about that. So they added this feature called replace by fee, which was basically that you could resubmit the same transaction with a higher fee uh, and it would override the previous one. And so that means if things are getting stuck, well, you can outbid yourself, but it also means that it's less secure for those zero confirmation transactions because I could send $1 to you with a $1 fee and then send it back to myself. Or I could send $100 to you with a $1 fee and then send it to myself with a $2 fee after you'd already given me, you know, whatever I was buying. And, and there you go, right? So that's another like point where the, the two philosophies have sort of diverged. I guess that kind of fits in with bitcoin core being a commodity not a currency again because that that's them directly stating we don't care about small amounts we are only in it for large transactions and slow ones as well too ones that you can afford to sit around yeah yeah. bitcoin is about large transactions which is yeah but it's a weird idea right because there's no reason that bitcoin cash can't be for large and for small transactions, right? So I think uh, some people who support Bitcoin Core, they kind of have this idea of, uh, well, maybe Bitcoin Cash is doing these small shitty transactions. We don't really need to worry about that, but ours is the real, you know, the real currency. But the thing is, if you can use, if once there's enough activity of small transactions going on, well, people can just send medium transactions there too. They're not going to switch currencies to do large transactions or even very large. You know, there's, there's basically, there's no ceiling on Bitcoin Cash in terms of the size, but there is a ceiling or there is a floor on uh, Bitcoin Core in terms of the, the you know, size that is the feasible sort of size of transaction, yeah. Hmm. I find this, um, this is so mesmerizing, <laughs> yeah. watching the buses of transactions. I can, off. I mean, I could, uh, I can take it off if you want, but I sort of thought it might be good to leave it in there in the, in the VOD because this, this, I love this visualization. I love it. It's so amazing because it just explains everything in one, in one page. You don't even need to know about Bitcoin as you just look at this and you just see the Bitcoin cash is, is working. This one, you see all these people waiting for the bus and then you see the fee is $10. Eight or eight dollars, but you know it, it'll be ten dollars soon enough. And you just think, why would I want to get involved in that, right? Like, 
Yeah, I, I know which bus I want to take to work. Yeah. Well, I know which bus I want to take to the shop to buy my lunch. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. All right. Maybe I'll maybe I'll I'll take this off then. Uh, so, you're so you um ah oh, there, there I go there I am um so I guess your previous guest said that they'd spent a whole month living only on Bitcoin. Yeah, Bitcoin Cash. Yeah. If there aren't that many merchants, how is that even possible? You just kind of convert it at a point of sale. Well, yeah. So I think uh, I don't know. I think he would have to. I think if you go back and listen to how how he sort of explained that. I mean, I think. I think the idea was basically that for things that are merchantable in Bitcoin Cash, you would have directly spent that. And then there are services like, uh, I think this link, I think this like sort of yeah. BitPay, um, which is, uh, again, this is sort of historically, they sort of had to change their um, their business model, right? Because, but anyway, that's a different story. But Basically, uh, they've got this uh, idea of having this BitPay card, which is basically like just a, a bank card, just sort of like when you go overseas, your card is in, maybe it's in uh, British pounds, and then you go to America and you spend it, and the bank automatically sorts out, okay, you've got pounds, but we're in America, they want, you know, and they sort out the conversion behind the scenes and maybe charge you a small fee, right? So that basically, you could do that same idea in in Bitcoin, where your your Bitcoin cash is saved on your card or is in your holding balance and then when you spend it i guess if they accept bitcoin cash well there you go it's just cash to cash but if they if they want a different uh thing on their mastercard or a little visa fpos machine then it just gives them whatever they want and does a little conversion whenever you need to so i think that's what uh that's what it was sort of meant about that but of course the idea is that as uh, basically that things have started with people have to spend a lot of effort to get uh, Bitcoin Cash and then they transact it to someone else and then probably a lot of the time that person just sells it for, um, you know, for a government currency or whatever if they need to use it. But as, again, it comes back to that same thing I was saying before, as the pool of people increases and as the amount of people who will accept it for whatever their job is increases sooner or later, those that money just starts flowing around in the cryptocurrency economy and the it doesn't jump back and forth between the government currency right so then more if you think of the government currency as a big circle and then the crypto ones are smaller ones so money is flowing back and forth between the two but as more and more just builds up in here you know then this one starts to shrink and all the value just flows over into the cryptocurrency economy that's kind of how i see it and so for me obviously i'm trying to encourage that the extent that I can in terms of like getting getting paid in cryptocurrency um, you know spending off my government money if I don't want it to anyone and where possible you know yeah if we were having beers definitely I'd uh, try pay you back in cryptocurrency now that you're now that you're sort of involved I would be well into that when lockdown's over hell yeah dude hell yeah I'm so, oh man I'm so keen it's gonna be I'll amazing. get you dinner in in my past my useless pounds and take milli bitcoins that's right dude that's that's the attitude this is this is the thing i would be i would be really hesitant to do that with the knowledge that this cryptocurrency is just so valuable and it's more valuable in 10 in five years than it is right now so i'm i don't know i'm, I'm spending future gains 
on something that I don't wouldn't need to spend it on now if yeah. I've got pounds. Yeah, exactly. And that's the and that's sort of part of the theory in in two senses of in one sense it's for a lot of traditional economists. That's why they're like, This is bullshit, this cryptocurrency is never gonna work. Why? Because they say, look, we have an inflationary currency so that people spend their money because if not, everybody hoards it. And what they actually mean by hoarding it is saving it, right? But that's not, that's not really a problem because if you have, that's why the average consumer, there's all those stats about how, you know, so many percentage of people have less than, you know, it's one month of, uh, you know, cash in their bank or whatever, right? It's because we live in a society where we're incentivized to constantly just spend your money. You can't just chill and know that it'll all be fine. But that's not really the same in, in cryptocurrency. But no matter what the, uh, the incentive is, you're still going to spend money because at some point you've got to eat. You've got to have, you know, you need to pay your rent and you need to uh, buy food at the very least, no matter who you are basically. So you will, it's still guaranteed, there will still be money flowing in the economy, but the consumer preferences is obviously going to shift where maybe people will buy less random crap that they don't want if they know that their, their money is actually good. And then that raises the bar for merchants to deliver higher quality products that are like, have to be good enough that, that people will pay for it, you know? And I think that's, that's actually quite a good thing. Uh, and then like you see, that's how the cycle of adoption drives as every individual person sort of in their own mind, their mindset switches from, you know, uh, it's valuable to me to acquire government currency to it's valuable to me to acquire cryptocurrency. Well then uh, every time, you know, when the Bitcoin trades on the open market, when Bitcoin cash trades against other currency, every time a deal is done, there's still the same amount of uh, Bitcoin cash and the same amount of that currency in the world, right? Because you've just swapped, but the price goes up when there's more people, their preference is higher for the other one. There's just once everybody in the world agrees, I would I wouldn't give you a Bitcoin cash for one dollar, then the price goes up. There's no actual change in the amount of, of either of either one, and so that that's why the price just goes up over time because more and more people are like, I'm I'm not giving <laughs> I'm not giving you that like you're gonna, you know I'll give you this other government currency that I don't want or I'll you know I'll demand more for this cryptocurrency because it's valuable. Like I think it's two two dollars worth of worth of bitcoin cash and i would not i would not spend that for a can of coke a packet of crisps and a chocolate bar that's yeah. just not is far far more valuable than that yeah that's right exactly and that's you know that so that i think that's going to be a good thing to be honest i think you know if all of consumer habits change to be like that with everybody being less sort of uh spendy on on whatever garbage that they didn't really need I think that would be, I think that would be great. And it's just, it's in fact, you know, so potentially, again, this is just me spitballing here. This is very uh, philosophical, the, the point that we're getting to, but, you know, so maybe like issues like, uh, you know, health issues that people have because of the modern diet, like maybe that would be changed if buying a Coke wasn't so much as like, oh, well, I don't even really want my money anyway, because I know it's depreciating. I may as well just have this junk food, right? I could spend... Well, if it was 50p for a can of Coke, 10 quid now, because in five years it'll be two pounds. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Whereas the opposite in uh, cryptocurrency, you get rewarded for basically supporting the network, for building an economic bedrock of holding and uh, 
saving, hoarding, but yeah, I think it's hoarding, that's fine. Saving, saving the coins. If you have savings, you have more purchasing power. That's how it should work, right? It's very bizarre that we've become used to this system where I read in this article the other day, I thought it was so true, really just switches a light onto you that the idea is that savings is low risk, cash savings are low risk and investments are risky, right? But in the modern economy, it doesn't work that way. If you have cash savings, like you can't have more than too much of that before everyone's like, you need to invest that, you need to invest, you need to invest. Like you need to take on that risk to save your money from getting whittled away to inflation, right? Like we were saying before about how many trillions of uh, USD. Like I've got a small, I've got small, small, I guess small to medium amount of savings and it's just kind of in pounds in a bank account. And I'm just, I just know that the longer I wait to turn it into a house, the less of a house it can buy. Exactly. Exactly. And that's not the way the economy should work because there's more things being produced in the world all the time. The standard of living is rising, you know, things are going up, but we're just used to this. We've just come to accept it as kind of this fact of life that (laughs) we do all this hard work, you know, to build up and save value. And then it's all just suddenly bleeding away into the system or not really into the system, but to the government who's churning out the dosh and then handing it out to their favorite cronies, right? Which is... Uh, I mean, maybe some of it goes towards, you know, uh, social benefits and things like that. But a lot of it undoubtedly goes to the people who are closest to the source. Right. So that's kind of one thing that cryptocurrency is really going to change in society. And that's why with the GME stuff and everything like that, it's really switching the light bulb on for people that I mean, if we're going to change the system, you know, there's far more actionable. and And that's why it is. You know, I think quite realistic when I say that I think Bitcoin Cash is going to be the, the global reserve currency. I, I mean, I mean that. I can't see at what point it would get derailed. Like I said, if it can go from $0 to $1, I'm sure it can go from 100 to 101 or whatever it is now, 400 to one, And it, it's just going to outcompete all those currencies slowly but surely. So. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I can't... Um... I'm I'm in I mean I'm like I'm in for <laughs> I'm in for the kind of for the paradigm shift that it represents yeah. the societal attitude the shift in kind of public consciousness that it represents but I f- like it it's a really kind of anti-boomer type thing it's the opposite of not like anti-boomer as in oh boomers are awful but the kind of opposite of that kind of those kind of the priorities and the incentives uh, yeah and, and, and the thing is uh, one of the amazing things I think about it is that it is directly actionable. It's as simple as that. You don't have to go to the government. It doesn't have to be some legislation or there doesn't have nothing like that. It really just comes down to like, if you say to somebody, I think cryptocurrency is going to take over the world. And they say, I think it's not. You don't even have to say, how much do you want to bet? All you have to do is just get some cryptocurrency and before you, you know, then, then let the market decide. Right. And historically people who made that bet, the earlier they made it and the more significantly they made it, the more they were rewarded because they were ahead of the game, right? And they were, they were taking on that risk that society would shift in that direction. And 
for the most part they've been right and I think they're going to continue to be right so it really doesn't matter you know for other people whether they're you know whether they're more or less involved you know there's I can I understand that a cryptocurrency is not a number one priority for everyone if you're busy you've got a house you've got a life you've got kids you've got you know whatever people people are busy they've got things to do and as any uh marketing person will tell you getting somebody to try something new is not easy right it, it's, it needs to be like a, a critical issue for them generally speaking before before they'll start to like think about it but uh nevertheless once once it is an issue people get suddenly very interested right so people come to you know cryptocurrency for their own reasons whether it's you know like originally it was very ideological that was already a big issue for people and so that's what drew them to it and then if you're in a country where it's hyperinflating like in venezuela where i think bitcoin cash adoption is starting to kick off a little bit then it is a big issue right now like your, yeah. your money is draining away and then for everyone else like you say you, you have that same problem at a lesser degree but enough that now you know you're kind of like let me get involved and eventually that spreads to everyone and the of course the uh, the longer things go on, the more people who haven't adopted are in that situation of realizing, oh, I, I used to just, you know, wave off that one person who told me about cryptocurrency, but then somebody else told me about it and somebody else and now and, and they started to realize where I'm the one in the room who, who's actually, who's on the wrong side of the, the trend, you know, who's uh, missing out, you know, so. I think part of it's the perception of it. The, like, before, before speaking you about it cryptocurrency was just this kind of well it was it was a, a volatile commodity that people mm -hmm. gambled um gambled on basically um but looking at it from the perspective of of like a d just a decentralized money like the the need for it and the necessity kind of globally um for for it kind of just gives you a really different perspective on it, how, uh, how important it is and how important it will be in 10, 15 how kind of nothing it is now like it's, I can't believe it's such a like uh, I'm I'm 10 years I guess about 10 years late to the party still and I, and <laughs> you're I'm still, still super early, early dude you're still in the 1% definitely if you buy now you'd be in the first 1% of humanity to have cryptocurrency there's no doubt about that I mean, it's, it's been a, you know, and that's why I think that's part of the reasoning for this, this podcast, you know, is I'm, I know that there's going to be a huge, uh, future, you know, ongoing surge of people who are, what is this all about? And they don't know. And I mean, sure, there's a lot of YouTube videos and all that. And I mean, you can read the white paper, right. Uh, and all that stuff, but you know, there's, they're like, that's, there's, that's a lot, that's a lot. And it's hard to sort of get, get it, you know? So I, that's why I'm, I'm trying to do this, uh, do this podcast to sort of hopefully help and, and explain it and, and really you just need to get over that first little little hurdle the biggest jump is from is from this is not a real thing to wait what's going on here that that is the biggest point whether the other stuff oh, i really need it or how much money i should you know put into it or how is this going to work or what are the details or any of that stuff is nothing yeah. compared to that like it's a scam or to i don't i don't like this is basically what it is that's the most object the biggest objection people have to cryptocurrency is not they probably they usually can't say what's wrong with it because they don't know very much about it people don't 
you don't argue with people who say I object to cryptocurrency because these 10 reasons they're like I don't know about cryptocurrency it's a scam that that's it and you say can you tell me how does a cryptocurrency work and they say I don't know it's just a thing on the internet or or something like that electronic money that people use to buy drugs and and assassins yeah and but even that even that raises so many questions that it's it's pretty easy to to, defeat and you're like well why didn't we have that 20 years ago why is it why is it suddenly big now like what changed you know I, was like, oh, I don't know why would people accept that why wouldn't they just accept money you know, and then it leads to this rabbit hole I think like you've been down in the last couple of days which a lot of people uh, have when they come to cryptocurrency I definitely did where you start asking you start thinking wait what is money why do I value these things why would I trade for something for this or that who set this all up you know, all those questions uh, come to you actually I've I'm, I'm real I guess I'm realizing the time but I've just realized um a question that the white pages did raise for me um yeah the white paper yeah was it called the white document the white paper the white paper yeah, the white yeah. paper um so it said something along the lines of um the system is incentivized to stay secure because the computational power required to break it you might as well just spend mining instead yeah yeah what if um what if the kind of uh, negative agent wasn't to kind of make profit off it, but was just interested in destabilizing it as a currency? Well, that, you know, who knows? But the the uh, I mean, they they are welcome to like attack it, right? And I mean, like let's say let's say hypothetically, let's say we imagine you know the the U.S. government decides, holy shit. This Bitcoin stuff is getting out of control. We, we've got to yeah. we've got to shut this down. So what we're going to do is we're going to try and take over the network ourselves. Okay. So the first thing is if we look at let me let me just uh, bring it up here. But the first thing is if we look at the mining um, network, it's been going exponential. I think I even uh, mentioned this in one of the other ones. But there's I really want the graphs. There's somewhere here charts. If we look at the um, <laughs> the the mining network it basically has been going up exponentially ever since it was uh invented where where is it here it should be here somewhere right market signals mempool can you see hash rate anywhere miners revenue here we go hash rate right so uh when it when it started and if we go we go on here on the all-time graph right so it's like this uh, but even if we zoomed in on this uh, smaller little segments here, you would still see it just rocketing up, right? Because this is a, an exponential. Yeah. Um, and so the cost to get uh, enough uh, hash rate to take over the network, not only do you need to have 51% of the current value, you need to outpace the growth of the network as well. So once you think about it in those terms, you're like, wow, that would be a, like, you would have to be buying Bitcoin mass miners faster than every other person already is, which is at this insane rate, right? So uh, it would be very, very hard to get that um, thing. But then once you did, let's say you spent, you know, at this point, it would be hundreds of millions or billions of dollars to acquire all that amount of hardware somehow as the exclusive provider in the world, you got it all set up, you switch the electricity on to start your things running, you would be burning money at an insane rate, right? You've not only spent so much money to get these, the amount of electricity it takes to run like an entire mining farm is massive, right? And electricity isn't free. So 
all of a sudden you're in the position where your 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 options are either mine bitcoin in which case i would be making a profit and paying off these expenses that i've incurred or try and attack the network in which case i'm paid for the hardware i'm paying to run it and i'm not making the money that i could make mining bitcoins like this is a very you know this is really just not a not an economically feasible thing and so let's say even if the u.s government decided well, look we absolutely fucking have to do this and they're just we're yeah. going to burn any amount of money to just like go at it well where are they going to get that money again it sort of comes back to tax or um or inflation right and if they're going to sustain an attack because as soon as you switch your miners off the bitcoin network just goes back to it just switches back on it just goes back to what it was doing right you can only hold it hostile so long as you're willing to keep burning your own money setting it on fire to to retain control of the network and like it just doesn't make sense right so the eventually um if, if okay if, if you're gonna keep running these costs the u.s government well they either have to keep raising taxes on the u.s citizens or they have to print more money and if they print more money that just makes the situation worse for them because it devalues the u.s dollar against bitcoin and signals to everyone <laughs> why do i have these worthless u.s dollars i should get bitcoin instead what, what are these green rectangles doing for me exactly what have you done for me lately us dollar nothing but devalue basically so um what do you know what that, that little dip around 2019 is uh this here good question uh, actually i don't know it does tend to uh you know go up and down a little bit as we can see here because uh of well like for instance maybe this was a certain point where a lot of the miners got uh, switched on to Bitcoin Cash. I don't know. Uh, I think that was, I feel like that was more in this sort of era, but I don't know. Maybe there was a surge in Bitcoin Cash, so all the miners started uh, switching over to that. I don't know. So this is a, a graph of mining, basically. This is, yeah, how much mining is going on, how much, yeah, how much mining is going on. And so that's uh, increased over time. It increases exponentially, not only because with more time, people figure out how to make more miners, but they also improve, improve the quality of them, right? Where they basically, they invented better and better computer chips that were specifically designed for Bitcoin mining. So that's also contributing uh, to the growth. So that's where the, the government would have a hard time because they have to be on the cutting edge of this technology, which is always uh, improving as well as outpacing the whole network and everything I said before. <laughs> Governments being on the cutting edge of technology. Okay, yeah, this is completely safe. That's right, exactly. Can't, <laughs> I'm not, not super worried about I mean, you know, Bitcoin's been around for 12 years and the government regulation is still, ah, oh, what are we going to do about it? Well, you know, by the time, and again, it sort of all ties into this huge meta-narrative again about the split between Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin, right? Is that the Bitcoin Cash philosophy was the more users we have, the less regulation will be a problem because it will just be a thing in society and it will be a obvious that it's not a huge threat or a problem and b it will obviously will cause a bigger outcry if you wanted to get rid of it or screw it around somehow whereas the bitcoin core philosophy i i, I to be honest i don't know what their approach to that was it was maybe like uh well i don't know i don't figure how they think if we have some small percentage of the population they can just get regulated and be a big problem I, I don't know you'd have to ask somebody who supported that uh more i think oh there we go <laughs> oh yeah shit he distracted you again in this. <laughs> <laughs> it is mesmerizing though and i did when i uh I, that tr transaction street i only saw that 
a couple months ago. But before that, back in the day, they used to have, oh, just what we were looking at here on blockchain. They had, uh, they've changed it now, but they used to have the old, the transaction feed uh, scrolling in with these little, uh, little block buttons. And it was super, it was super mesmerizing in that way. So I can't find basically it what the miners are doing is they're spending their computational power to, to process the transactions and then getting a tiny bit of Bitcoin or a tiny bit of crypto as a as, as a reward for spending their computer's power. Yeah, so it's essentially, that's it, it comes from this idea of, um, it's called proof of work, but it's basically like this sort of sunk cost kind of idea, right? Where uh, the Bitcoin miners, actually it doesn't cost very much of this electricity or this processing powers to actually check the transactions that takes virtually no time at all right that's why you're if when i send you a transaction your phone you know your phone doesn't overheat figuring out that i've sent you one transaction like that's not the the difficult part the the part that they're all churning away on is the proof of work which is basically like a, a i mean we'll, i'll get into that in more detail but a lot of the white papers are sort of on that sort of topic where it's about the uh, algorithm so that you basically you can't cheat there's no way to fake it that the only way you could possibly have got to these certain uh, verification of transactions was that you spent a lot of computing power so you could, yeah there's no way to fake it right so if if you were putting in trans like uh, putting in blocks to try and get that reward you had to have spent the electricity there's no other way and so that means yeah, you can't have people frauding the network or like we were talking before about those attacks. The government has to spend the electricity. There's no way you can be like, oh yeah, we'll just patch it or change it around or something and we'll just be submitting our own, doing our own attack. Like they're going to be spending that money if they want to be so involved. Yeah, I lo that's quite exciting because it's then it makes it like directly. Because I remember as a child, you look at coins and you're like, oh, this is 1p. That must be one pence worth of copper. Yeah. Or Originally it was, right? Like a silver dollar. Like the reason it's called a dollar is because yeah. it was a certain uh, weight of silver and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, oh, it feels like such an elegant fix to like the last 50 plus years of, I don't know, societal exploitation. I'm feeling really like I've, Feeling like such a hippie, like You're through the looking glass, mate. Right you are exactly. Yeah, you're a cyberpunk. Oh, what's it called? A cypherpunk. <laughs> you're a cypherpunk now, mate. That's that's it. Yeah, it really. I need to spike my diet pink. Yeah, well, I think a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I doubt Satoshi Nakamoto had the, you know, had the steampunk aesthetic, but I'm I'm sure you know sure could have rolled out that that way. Maybe a good cosplay of uh, Satoshi would be like some kind of. Uh, you know, uh, electronic version of that with like the Bitcoin logo, you know, in scratched up, like riding on the side. So that would be a sick Halloween costume. But yeah, and that would be kind of like the that would be that would be good for fostering the community art kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, and this why you know, like you say, I agree with you that it is sort of a very elegant solution. Okay, the white paper is a little bit complicated, but a lot of the you know all the pieces slot together in terms of the economic incentive in terms of the technology in terms of how the yeah how the mining works how it's self-sustaining how the miners get rewarded how the transactions are verified like how it grows from nothing to something like all these things do 
uh, stack up together and that's why it's such a big contentious point of what is the real Bitcoin because uh, to me at least in the Bitcoin cash like what I what I said in that first episode which was basically Satoshi got it right according to me and according to a lot of people and that I mean according to people on both sides right they just disagree as to what what was sort of meant in that original design but the the idea that it, which is honestly it is one of the most staggering things in you couldn't you couldn't script it better that this thing which was previously thought impossible was invented for the first time worked flawlessly and uh, you know the creator anonymously just vanished without the government ever figuring out and being able to make an example out of them and it's it's beyond yeah. belief it's like the craziest sci-fi <laughs> movie somebody's going to make a movie about it at some point there's already been some sort of documentaries and stuff but somebody's got to make at some point some kind of you know matrix type movie with satoshi dodging the government it would, or something. Be, it would be so much more kind of valuable than having a movie about how crappy facebook got made yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah it's way it's way sweeter than that it's not like some dorm room college thing it's like instead of like pseudonymous uh, founder you know made all this now the world's first trillionaire right i think that was i mean they say like elon musk is like the richest guy in the world right but he's he's not if satoshi ever cropped up he's got a million bitcoin he's like way richer than elon musk right so of course he's got squillions of bitcoins does he have like a full million? That's what they think. They did. Uh, there's a there's a really good article. Uh, I'm sure you can look it up. But they did. Uh, basically, they've done research into, um, you know, the patterns in the early days of how the coins were did, were mined and all that sort of stuff. And there is, uh, in theory, you know, it's believed that there's basically one million of the early days of uh, Bitcoin which haven't moved, right? And there, and you can see that because it's on the blockchain, right? So if Satoshi ever moves any of those coins, the whole world <laughs> going to <laughs> panic or I don't know, I don't know what, but uh, it seems like whether willingly or not, Satoshi had that million and thought, you know what, let's just, let's not, let's let it rest. Let's just, let's just chill on that one. He just breaks off a fraction of a Bitcoin every now and then to pay for his electricity and he just sits in his room playing the newest COD, like <laughs> not maybe i mean people have different theories right like i i think it's probably quite likely that satoshi is dead that uh you know i I, maybe not even to the extent of just assassinated by the government or anything although that's that's one just version just organically yeah just just sort of happened and i mean a lot of people think that the uh creator of that satoshi was this guy called hal finney who was the second person ever after satoshi to ever have bitcoin because when it was first released and everything, this guy, Hal Finney, he came on, uh, you know, he found out about it and everything. He talked to Satoshi, he said, look, send me some Bitcoin. And they did, you know, they did that, right? So this first guy, Hal Finney, and uh, he later died of, I think he had ALS. Um, but he about, it was like in 2014 or 2015, uh, he died, you know, but, and some people think, okay, he invented Satoshi as this fake, you know, alter ego. And then obviously he sent some to himself and said, I'm Hal Finney and I'm the second person so that he could, you know, play both sides of the coin. So some people think it was him and he's gone now. That sounds feasible. It's definitely not this Craig Wright chat. Yeah, I mean, there's, 
Uh, like that's another uh, theory is obviously he thinks he is and some people think he is but a, a theory that I'm more sort of inclined to is at least when he announced it and everything like that was that he worked with another guy who uh, was sort of you know potentially could have been Satoshi who had sort of a lot of the right criteria and stuff who died in I think 2013 and it's sort of to me it's maybe feasible now- that that guy could have been Satoshi and then Craig sort of knew him or was a bit you know at the periphery somehow and so then whatever evidence he has of oh, i did this in the early days or i had all this bitcoin which i had saved up or from way early or like whatever that it was because you know he was mates with the guy who'd who'd, uh, who'd invented it and sort of doesn't want to acknowledge it or, or something like that i don't know he knows that he's dead and can therefore <laughs> isn't gonna have someone saying no i'm sparring <laughs> yeah that's right. Although I, I, I think it was, you know, it's a bold move to be calling yourself uh, Satoshi because anybody could just pop out of the woodwork and uh, whack you for any reason. Well, yeah, if, if he's got a million bitcoins, surely, surely, I don't know, that's, that's a lot of money to have in effectively gold or commodity or hidden under your bed with just a password that you could be yeah, I can't, I can't see that going well for yeah, him. that's right. And I mean, well, Satoshi's anonymous, so it's all good. But yeah, good luck to Craig Wright with whoever goes investigating, you know, his, right. uh, his uh, password folder or whatever. Yeah. It's just pretty, uh, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty oh, insane. The money wouldn't even be traceable. That's the perfect crime. Exactly. Exactly. But it seems like Satoshi you know, the actual Satoshi was, was smart enough to see all this coming. And so oh, bet it was on the VPNs and everything. So yeah, yeah it didn't really uh, work out that way. All right, man. I mean, we've been going for two hours. Like I'm happy to keep talking. Do you have any more uh, questions or we can sort of wrap it up like uh, yeah. whatever you want? I mean, the, the one, uh, the one other thing that I wanted to ask is what the Mount Gox scandal was, but oh yeah, well that might I don't have think to be a whole separate. Uh, yeah, it might have to be a separate episode. Like you might, uh, might get, you know, you could come back. We could do another episode, at some stage, and just dig into the history of all that. But that was yeah, that was just a scandal and a half. And and it did. Uh, I mean, the one thing I probably want to say about it, uh, without going into all the details, is that it was responsible for so much of the early you know growth and transactions was going on with it and when it blew up it obviously it was a scam right the mark carpellis who was the uh, ceo of mount cox you know he vanished and everybody was what did you do with that bitcoins and all this sort of stuff and that's why that's another reason why bitcoin's early image struggled was because a lot of even though bitcoin itself is not a scam or cryptocurrency itself is not a scam it's also a perfect vehicle for running scams right with people making fake exchanges and because it's irreversible right once you send it you can't get it back and all this kind of stuff so especially before as the education was just lower not only in the total population but even in the bitcoin community people still this is really a new thing obviously there's still like you know scams and people running off with bitcoins and this and that and so that's why even though it did go through those hype cycles and grow it still made sense that people were like this is a scam because when you read an article you don't even know what bitcoin is you feel like a bitcoin exchange goes past you're not necessarily going to understand that look if a bank goes down that doesn't necessarily mean the whole usd is uh not a thing just like if a bitcoin exchange collapses that doesn't mean the bitcoin itself there's any problem with it. in fact that's bitcoin working as intended was that once somebody had it it was pretty hard to get it back off them uh but uh 
yeah well i'm sure you'll come up with some more questions we can uh we can definitely do another episode it's been been really good i think uh yeah i think people will enjoy this especially if they're you know i think with the gme and everything like even my brother was mentioning to me oh yeah i'm getting into cryptocurrency you know maybe that kind of um you know crowd of people uh would be a good episode for them too i think as well yeah so do, do you want to shout out anything just before we uh leave it there um, you know uh, no i don't really i don't really have anyone i want to say shout out to all my friends <laughs> everyone <I> care about <laughs> yeah you know who you are yeah who you want <laughs> all right cool well uh i think we'll leave it there then until uh next time <laughs>